Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm so excited to welcome Allison McGuire. Allison is an actor turned politico and later an entrepreneur. Allison went to Boston University to build an acting career, but instead she pursued politics, working in the U.S. Congress and U.K. Parliament. Then she transitioned into entrepreneurship by applying her acting skills to business. Allison is now a presentation coach to Fortune 100 companies, a visionary startup uh, entrepreneur, and very passionate about nonprofits. Welcome, Allison. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It is our pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on the show and to dig into all of the amazing things you do to really transform um, business people and founders and help them to present incredibly effectively using your acting skills. So let's jump in. And if you could just set a little bit of the stage for us and give us a sense of your background, where you grew up, how you got started in, in your professional field. Absolutely. So I grew up here in Los Angeles, and by here I mean where I'm sitting in this moment. And I was in the entertainment business, loved acting, loved performing. And I went to Boston University, as you mentioned, to pursue an acting career and then got involved in politics, which I quickly discovered is pretty much the same thing. Um, and from there, I then moved into tech as I saw it as a effective way to make change very quickly and had an idea for a crazy startup. And I decided to quit my job, raise some money, move to New York City from living in Washington, D.C., and start my first company. And then from that company, pivoted to create my second company. And after working in tech for a number of years, I realized as I was pitching in a number of, of startup competitions, I won every competition. And I say that less to flip my hair, but more to say that I saw people who were smarter than me or had better ideas weren't able to effectively communicate the way that I was. And I realized that it was because of, after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on acting training, that that was actually paying off in some tangible way. So I began teaching my peers, my colleagues, and ultimately that started growing into working with big Fortune 100 companies like Capital One and Mass Mutual, and working with innovators of all stripes, startup entrepreneurs, founders, hustling startups, I mean, hustling uh, nonprofits, and and from there, I developed the McGuire Method, which at its core is a combination of acting techniques and business applications. That would be the shortest story that I can start from. All right. So now I'm going to ask you to kind of rewind a little bit because I know there's a lot of uh, juicy stories uh, within that uh, very short pitch that you just did. So when so let's just start with your acting career. Um, so what kind of acting did you do? Were you working on features, TV, commercials? Uh, was it theater? I was primarily a stage actor. I always have preferred the theater. I love the in-person energy. I love being able to riff off of a crowd and, as we call, break the audience if, if they're very stiff, being able to make them laugh. That that energy really is what drives me. And the, the work behind the camera is tougher because you're relying on a director to give you feedback and obviously the feelings that you have yourself. But that was always my preference. And that's always what I gravitated towards. 
Well, that makes a lot of sense given the work that you're currently doing because you were playing to an audience the entire time, except yes. it was a theatrical audience, right? Yes. So, um, so for those that don't know anything about acting, I just think it would be interesting to take a couple of minutes to just talk about the kind of training that you go through as an actor when you're honing your craft. Absolutely. Much of acting work is really getting in touch with your inner self and then being able to figure out other people's stories, empathize with them and embody those characters. So I always focused on the character development, not so much on the overall story of the play or of the film. But that got me into the mindset of what are the characters' motivations? Why are they doing what they're doing? What ultimately is their impact going to be on the characters around them? How do they see other characters? And what are the key events in their lives that have shaped how they see the world? And because of all that, even if I had a bit part, which is uh, which is actor parlance for a small part or a, a leading role, it was really important for me to, and for every actor to get in touch with, as we start really with getting in touch with our inner child and figuring out how we can bring out any type of character and embody those based on our own experiences and relating those to as, as most, as most we, as best we can to the characters that we are playing. Okay, so I have I have something I want to say in response to that. But first, I'm going to give you a little technical note and ask you to just move the mic a tiny bit away from your um, oh, sure. from you, just so that you're not getting feedback. So, to me, what that sounds like is you're incredibly skilled, uh, or actors are skilled at putting themselves in other people's shoes, just to use a very kind of simplistic um, term. And, and therefore, you can really kind of relate to those around you. And when you are pitching, you are pitching with that knowledge of what they're looking to get out of that experience so that the pitch is really more effective. It, would you say that that's close to what you do? Yes. And is this better in terms of sound? Uh, yeah, you can get a little closer. I can get a little closer. Yeah. Right here? Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So, yes. And I would say I'm intensely curious about other people's stories and their motivations and their needs, and then figuring out the best way to communicate to them in their language. And that is partially coming from the acting background, partially coming from being an extrovert and loving people. And that is what has made pitching one of my favorite things to do. Got it. Very, very interesting. And so talk to us now about, so you did, you obviously had a successful um, acting career and then you decided to move into the entrepreneurship space. Do you want to talk about a little bit of your, you know, first experience out in the market? Well, I have many of them. I will say, first and foremost, I had no idea what I was doing, and I certainly thought I knew more than I did and had a steep hill to climb. I also felt that I had no real business being an entrepreneur, but I felt so strongly about what I was building that I knew I had to go out and make it happen. And because I love people, I really figured out how to surround myself with people who were smarter than me, had more experience than I did so that I could learn from them and build a business to the best of my abilities. So there are 
millions of experiences that I've had, and I can certainly go down any particular path, but I would say I really wasn't overwhelmed with entrepreneurship conceptually because I knew I, in my bones that I had to pursue this idea that I knew would help people. And I had already gotten validation via interviewing hundreds of people that they really wanted the product that I was selling. And um, was the experience one that encouraged you to continue down the founder path? Yeah, I love being a founder. It is the most challenging and yet the most rewarding job that I've ever had. It is extremely lonely in that being the founder and having to be the bearer of bad news, but also being the person who has to hustle to get the good news, it, that is is really tough. However, having a support system has been really important for me. And I find that my my love of acting and as an artist has really been creating something from nothing. And that is the same thing with entrepreneurship is coming in with an idea and then being able to see that through into tangible impact and tangible products and results. Well, I, I'd love to dive in now to the McGuire method. So take us to the point in time where you decided to kind of officially pursue this as a business. Well, I officially decided to pursue this as a business when my second business was failing, for lack of a better term, because my second business was hemorrhaging cash. And then my side hustle, which was this McGuire method, which was really just me coaching at the time, my peers, colleagues, and then other startups on how to present effectively, that was succeeding and making lots of money where my other business was hemorrhaging money. And so I was using my side hustle cash from the McGuire method to fund my startup. And when I looked at it from a purely financial perspective and I took my ego out of it, I realized that I had to shut down the other company in order to fully invest in what I love doing with the McGuire method, but really more importantly, what was providing my clients with the most value. And once I got real about that, that gave me the end. And although it was a huge, absolutely huge ego hit, it ended up being a great confidence builder because I went into building a product that I knew was helping other people. And you already had product validation, obviously. Yes. Yes. I had numerous clients. I just was holding on to my old startup idea because it, it really was much of my identity. And I see with many entrepreneurs that our companies are in our minds who we are. And I really had to separate that from myself to be able to build the McGuire method and this, and really develop a methodology for my teachings when before it was more of a coaching style into developing it into an actual business and coaching practice. So, so take us now into the McGuire method. So if I was a client, um, A, I'd like to just know for the audience, um, what types of clients do you typically work with and what are the problems that they come to you with so, so that our audience gets a sense of the scope of the work you do? My clients are vastly different. So I work with startups that have pitches. They want to gain investment. They want to sell their product and they are up against a very high hill to climb. I have 
large companies that I work with their teams. I work with them individually. I provide workshops, executive coaching, whether they're presenting to the board of a Fortune 100 company or they're presenting to a client where they want to upsell them a deal. Or I work with nonprofits where they really want to drive donations and gain more passionate followers. So I focus more on in terms of what they need and the problem what they need and the problems they have are how do I communicate my story more effectively in order for my audience to do something? And mm -hmm. much of the time they get lost in the weeds or they go into all of the details. And my job is really to pull them out of that and focus on who they are trying to talk to, what their problems are, and why their audience should care about whatever it is that they're presenting on. So let's dig into that, um, because I think that's something that's that all of us really struggle with. We get so kind of stuck in our own little lane and um, we kind of lose sight of the fact that perhaps many people don't want to hear all the details of your product or your service, <laughs> you know, that and then you don't know you kind of struggle, especially as a founder, which how much is enough, how much is not enough. You don't want people to think you're some fly by night kind of enterprise that doesn't really have their act together. But at the same time, you want to impress them with what you've built. So do you find that the level of detail and the amount of story that is integrated into a pitch varies by situation or is it pretty consistent? Is there a consistent strategy that you use? Well, it depends on how much time my clients have with their audience. So if we're taking a, a startup pitching, for example, if they have a 15 minute meeting, they have a five minute elevator pitch they're in a competition where they can only speak for one minute or they have an hour long session, I am able to structure their pitches in a certain way where they can dig into details more. It's always harder to make something shorter than it is to expound upon ideas mm -hmm. and details. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is I liken a lot of my work to dating. So if you go on a date with someone and it's a first date with them and you ask them, hey, tell me about yourself. And they start by saying, well, I was born in Beverly Hills, which sounds super impressive, but actually my first bedroom was in a closet. And then from there, <laughs> we ended up moving to Pasadena and we built, and they go on and on and on and on and on. And until where they are sitting at that restaurant with you at that moment, it's too much information. And more than that, it leaves zero room for curiosity and questions. And mm. when people are asking you questions and when people are curious about the product, service, or what you, who you are, that means that they are interested in potentially working with you. And so what I do is allow my is give my clients the latitude to say, let me hold back some key pieces of information, even though I think it's really important for you to know, from speaking from my client's perspective, I really think it's important for, for you to know, but I would rather you ask the question so that I can help you understand it from your lens, as opposed to me just fire hosing you with information. Yeah, that's really good. I have to say, very smart. And I love the analogy. Um, you would definitely be drinking a couple of bottles of wine at that point. They were going on and on. So, um, so then once you start working with a client and, and drilling down on their story, um, do you find, talk to us about the persona development, if, if you will, a little bit, I don't want to give away your secret strategic sauce, but just so that listeners really can understand if they want to work with you, you know, what the process is like a little. Absolutely. So if 
you and I have the same script. We have the same company line. We have the same pitch. That should be delivered very differently because we're different people. And so what I see consistently is that people are either trying to be what they have been told is a good presenter. They're trying to be these big personalities, these extroverts, when maybe they're introverted or they're more data minded, or they're taking a script that they are told to say verbatim and it's not using their language. So instead of first focusing on the story, which is funny because that's what we just talked about, I first focus on who is the presenter, what are their strengths, and how can we bring those out? So when I was pitching my startup, I had a huge degree of imposter syndrome. I thought, I'm an actor, <laughs> I'm somebody who gets mm -hmm. on stage and performs, I uh, worked in politics, I worked in national security and human rights, why am I pitching a tech product, why should I even be here? But then I thought, okay, well, if I am an actor at heart, what if I played this character version of myself, and that Allison was the badass CEO, and she was the one who was confident. How would she look? How would she talk? talk, walk, dress. And so once I started playing that character, if you will, I became much more confident. And so I started teaching my clients this idea because it started to buffer rejection. If somebody didn't like the idea that they were going for, well, then that what I call presentation persona takes the hit. And then what I realized in working with a number of, of introverts and people who didn't really fit that quote unquote great public speaking mold, I developed these nine different presentation persona archetypes. And these are different styles of presenting. So that could be a listener, someone who doesn't speak very much. When they do, they don't have an agenda. They typically ask questions instead of coming out with statements. Or that could be someone who's a firebrand, someone who has huge thought-provoking pieces of information they want to share and you either hate or love firebrands, there's really nowhere in between. Or maybe an operator, someone who's relatively emotionless, but they just go and get stuff done. So once I built out these nine different persona types, my clients were able to identify themselves within that and then lean on those tendencies so that they have a consistent presentation style. And the benefit of that is not just buffering rejection, but once people know what to expect from you, you can then focus on the story and having your message leave an impact. So that's why it's really important. And there's so many public speaking and storytelling coaches that focus on the story you're telling, which is awesome and great. And we should have more of that. But because I focus first on who is that person and how do we build up your strengths and don't focus on your weaknesses. I mean, for me, I'll tell you right now, finance numbers, not my strong suit. <laughs> so I'm not going to pretend to be an operator. That's not the persona that I am. Once I lean into my motivator side or my entertainer side, I am then able to effectively communicate in a way that resonates with my audience as authentically me. And so tell us about some of your successes. Have you found that some of your clients have had, you know, kind of a dramatic turnaround in some of their, you know, sales efforts or, or in capital raising? Absolutely. A number of examples. One is a team that I work with. I work with each individual team member in addition to the team as a group. And one of them, her first session with me, she really just needed to talk about her imposter syndrome. And most of my clients say their first session with me feels like therapy because again, I'm intensely curious about who this person is and I want to build them up coming again from a, from an acting development background for her, she she I heard her use a lot of upward inflection pattern, so everything sounded like she was ending on a question instead of a statement. Yeah. And so I asked her why 
was she was was there a reason that she was ending on upward inflection pattern which she really wasn't able to identify and we realized was because she was trying to get out so much information and she didn't want to pause because she didn't want to look stupid because she felt like she didn't belong so once we worked through that then we went into her script then we went into her pacing intonation and delivery and finally she presented to the board of a Fortune 100 company and she knocked it out of the park. And this was not from her perspective alone. This was really from the perspective of the people in that meeting. And so she was able to sell deals effectively. And from there, startups going out, not only confidently pitching, but being able to close millions of dollars and having the huge transformations, those are really where I gain the most pleasure from because people are able to see the potential that I see in them and see that in themselves and ultimately execute upon that. That's great. Wow. Well, I will definitely have to do some work with you because we can always <laughs> use refining our pitching um, abilities. So let's switch gears for a second because we're actually starting to run low on time. Um, and this is such an interesting topic, but I want to know in your experience as a founder, what are some of the top three hacks you think have either saved you time, money, or helped you gain a competitive edge that you've that you would recommend that other founders consider adopting? Absolutely. So the first I would say, which sounds counterintuitive, but was doing less. Especially when I started being an entrepreneur, I needed to do everything and I felt I needed to do everything yesterday and that I was always late and I always had a to-do list that was never ending and I could never conquer it. But what I realized was once I got more intentional about the clients, the types of people I wanted to work with, the type of impact that I wanted to have, I started doing less and my clients began approaching me. Now that's not saying I just sat around my house and was waiting for the phone to ring, but I focused more on content marketing and providing emails that provided content, provided value to my audience. And I really looked at manifesting the world and the business that I wanted to create as opposed to let me go and pitch all of these people for my services. And what I found now is that reaching capacity as a coach is, is very exciting. And, and now bringing on another coach is very exciting for my business, but in doing less and focusing more on what I do best, that really brought out the power of manifestation. So that's that's really one thing and getting less caught up in, in all of those details. Another is there are a number of unconscious struggles that go along with being an entrepreneur. And so much of, of my struggles have been financial. And I have come from a scarcity mindset of a, I can't make any money. I need, I need to call any investor who's gonna invest in my business. I thought about it more of a donation as opposed to an investment as an opportunity. So when I switched my mindset into, there's so much money in the world, and, and this is as a startup founder, and this is a real opportunity for them to to create more wealth for them and obviously an abundant mindset that then drew in the right people that I needed to further my business. And then the last piece I'll say, which is alongside what we've talked about as being extroverted and loving people is there's this concept of networking, which I use in air quotes, but I feel it's less about networking and more about loving people and their stories. So because I love people, their stories, I wanna get to know them more, I have a great network of people that I can rely upon to ask them certainly for things when I need them, but more so I, I know when to ask for something and I don't ask my network for something all the time. It's really when I 
see that what I'm providing can provide value for them. And having strategic asks is super, super important. And then the last, I'll just give you a bonus one is I have a scheduling tool as a coach and which is super important if you're doing any type of freelance or hourly work called Acuity, uh, A-C-U-I-T-Y. And that is something where people can book sessions with you and they can prepay before they even go into that. And, and it syncs with your calendar. And that has saved me so much time. Excellent. Well, those are all fantastic. So thank you. So we are now out of time, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to um, give our listeners uh, a way to contact you or learn more about your work. Can they, do you have an email or a website you'd like to share? Yeah, you can go to the McGuire method, M-C-G-U-I-R-E.com, or you can email the word impact, I-M-P, A-C-T, at themcguiremethod.com. And I would love to work with you, learn about your vision, and bring that to life. Fantastic. Well, Allison, thank you so much. It's so great to have you on the show. Tune in next week for more Startup Hacks. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that will save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Fernanda Kirapina, and we will see you next week. 